Hello there. Welcome to episode number 376 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell. I'm here with one dog and one cat and one microphone to bring you the second of the live recordings I did two weeks ago. This week, I am in conversation with Sherry Thomas, author of the Charlotte Holmes series. I recorded this on Friday, the 25th of October at the Loyalty Bookstore in D.C. As usual, I had questions from my nosy brain and from Zeb and from the Smart Bitches community. And in the middle, we have Crashing Cups, a spontaneous reading from the author and a special additional guest. Audiobook narrator Kate Redding came to the event and the poor woman sat next to me. So... I asked her a question, too. I want to thank Hannah and Diana from the Loyalty Bookstore, to Tara O'Connor from Penguin Random House. Thank you for asking me to do this. And I want to thank Jazlet, Sarah Drew, Sherry, Anonymous, and Aria for their questions. This episode is brought to you by Seduction on a Snowy Night by Madeline Hunter, Sabrina Jeffries, and Mary Jo Putney. This holiday season, steal away with the reigning queens of Regency romance, plus one or two dukes, an heiress, and a headstrong beauty— to a surprise snowstorm, the comfort of a blazing fire, and the heat of a lover's kiss. Madeline Hunter, Sabrina Jeffries, and Mary Jo Putney combined their awesome talents into this not-to-miss collection, filled with their signature wit, dynamic heroines, and swoon-worthy heroes. Seduction on a Snowy Night by Madeline Hunter, Sabrina Jeffries, and Mary Jo Putney is on sale now wherever books are sold. For more information, visit kensingtonbooks.com. This episode and the transcript are brought to you by Tell Me Everything by Amy Hotvenny. If you like Megan Hart and Leanne Moriarty, you will love this seductive, nuanced novel with a strong, sex-positive female protagonist. You think you know your neighbors, but when it comes to Jake and Jessica Snyder, you have no idea what goes on behind closed doors. When they first discover an exciting but taboo sexual behavior, it reignites the spark in their marriage and deepens feelings of connection and trust. That is, until Jessica keeps a secret from Jake involving an intriguing man from her past. What happens after that will threaten to destroy their world and them. Carolyn Kepnes says, This book is a sizzling, squirming, thought-provoking story of female growth. And Jen Lancaster recommended it to her online book club. Tell Me Everything by Amy Hotfany is on sale now wherever books are sold. Find out more at amyhotfany.com. I have a compliment in this episode, I love doing this, to Mel J. You are the human personification of everyone's favorite character, mascot, and stuffed animal from when they were a child, because you make that many people happy. If you would like a compliment of your very own, please have a look at our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash smartbitches. Monthly pledges start at $1 a month, and each pledge is deeply appreciated, helps keep the show going, and makes every episode accessible. And I want to extend a very special and big thank you to our Patreon community. Thank you for supporting the show each week. I will have information at the end of the show, or at the end of the episode, the show goes on, about what is coming up on Smart Pitches this week, where you can find Sherry Thomas and the Loyalty Bookstore. I will have links to all of the books that we discuss and I will have an absolutely terrible, terrible joke that was emailed to me by one of you because you are all fabulous. This one is really bad. I love it a lot, of course. So let's not delay anymore. This is the live recording of my conversation with Sherry Thomas at Loyalty Bookstore in Washington, D.C. Diana Metzger, I'm the programming coordinator here at Loyalty Bookstores. Thank you so much for coming out, Yay. especially I see my Nats fans. We'll let you know the score after the talk. You can you can interrupt us yeah. and just let us know. I'll hold up my hands. Um, but we are here tonight, even more exciting, to celebrate Sherry Thomas and her latest book. Woo! In the Ladies Sherlock series, Art of Death. And she's in conversation tonight with Sarah Wendell of Smart Bitches Trashy yeah. Books. Yeah. I was very excited to get to say the title. <laughs> I really like calling the bank. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> your LLC. Yes. So now is a great time to silence your cell phones. Pictures are allowed, but we ask that you do not use a flash and you tag us at Loyalty Books. Ooh, we are all over social media and uh, we love to share. So please do. Um, so how the event will work is we're going to have a bit of discussion 
and then time for Q&A with the audience. Then we're going to ask if you wouldn't mind just helping us fold up our chairs. And we are going to do the signing a little differently. We're going to do it back in our reading room so that we can commence quickly to cocktails, uh, which are themed to the book. So it's pretty exciting. Uh, so there'll be plenty of time for signing and imbibing drinks. So a little bit about... Yes, and mocktails for our, our non-alcoholic imbibers. Uh, a little bit about the artifact before we get started. As Sherlock Holmes' consulting detective, Charlotte Holmes has solved murders and found missing individuals. But she has never stolen a priceless artwork, or rather made away with the secrets hidden behind a much-coveted canvas. But Mrs. Watson is desperate to help her old friend recover these secrets, and Charlotte finds herself involved in a fast-paced scheme to infiltrate a glamorous Yuletide ball where the painting is one handshake away from being sold, and the secrets a bare breath from exposure. Her dear friend, Lord Ingram, her sister, Livia, Livia's admirer, Stephen Marbleton. Everyone pitches in to help, and everyone has a grand time. But nothing about this adventure is what it seems, and disaster is biding time on the grounds of a glittering French chateau, waiting only for Charlotte to make a single mistake. Very exciting. And a little bit about Sherry, USA Today bestseller. Sherry Thomas is one of the most acclaimed historical romance authors writing today and a two-time Rita Award winner. Yay. I'll hand it over to you guys. Thank you so much. Hi, Sherry. Hi, Sarah. How you doing? I'm well. Okay. So I'm actually recording this for my podcast so that if you want to listen to this again, you can, but that doesn't mean we're hooked up to a PA system. I'm naturally pretty loud. Sherry's also pretty loud, but if you can't hear us or if we, if you're, if we start to, you know, mumble, we get early cocktails or something, just let me know you can't hear me. Now I want to thank Diana and Hannah who are over here. Every bookstore is run by people who set up the chairs. And how many box cutters do you own? Uh, Twelve. <laughs> Personally, the store has about nine. Right. So whoever has box cutters and Sharpies pretty much rules the world, yeah. right? And sticky notes. That's really all you need to run a bookstore in addition to books. So thank you guys for bringing, have, bringing this evening together. This is awesome. So congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. Your, your book came out. I know. Does that ever does that ever get old? Uh no, I actually got old the first time. No. Yes, yes. I am one of those um stone cold individuals who has never gone to a bookstore to look at my book. Uh in fact, uh the first the first time um I saw a physical copy of my new book, I was rushing out somewhere. So I took a look at it and I rushed out. <laughs> and uh, and I have to say it's the um because actually, when you are a newer writer, mm -hmm. it's actually quite stressful, um, a book release, because you wonder how the book is going to do. Just a little, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's connected to whether you'll be able to write more books, whether the book does well. Um, nowadays, the stress is slightly less, because I feel, yes, I probably get the chance to write more books. Uh, but uh, still, um, book releases mostly mean to me a lot of unpaid work. <laughs> you you don't say. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry, but it's it's like no, uh, it's true. Yeah, uh, you, there's a lot of publicity stuff and travel. Uh, nowadays travel. I didn't travel for the longest time uh, with romances. Um, so uh, so it's it's just uh, activities. Yeah. Book releases are a lot of activities. It's like yeah. it's like camp, but there's no s'mores and less bug spray. Right, exactly. And you are constantly worried about leaving luggage behind because your brain has been scrambled. <laughs> oh yeah. But I have to say, you guys make it worthwhile. Um, thank you very, very much because I could be traveling and facing empty bookstores too. Uh, and I have done that. I have, I been have on done book that. Tours. I have been on book tours where um, four authors show up. And maybe four readers show up if we were lucky. Yeah. So, um, so I, this is this is this is a place of tremendous privilege to actually have people come and see you. And my mind is still blown every time. I know I look normal, but inside I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my inner thirteen-year-old does that regularly. And I've I've done a book event where it was one person plus the librarian at the library, and it was pouring rain and. You know, we had a good time, but it's still like, people came, oh my gosh. Yeah, and it's a Friday night, and there are games going on, and there's all kinds of stuff. You put you on be, shoes and like yeah. real pants and Netflix stuff. Netflix is like, there. You know? <laughs> so yeah, thank you guys for coming to hang out with us. 
So I solicited questions on my website, and I have nosy questions from my own nosy brain. But I actually wanted to start with something from someone that isn't a question. This is from Jazlet. She says, I don't have a question, but if there is a suitable opportunity, could you please tell Sherry that she is among the very select group of writers who can take me out... No, Real no, it's, it's, it's God warning me. Yeah, not to hate, you know, book releases. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's I like, heard oh, what you said. Oh, you are said. not great enough. Huh? Next drop is on your head. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that she is among a very select group of writers who can take me out of myself well enough to forget my chronic pain when I am reading about Charlotte, and that I am deeply and incredibly grateful for your ability to do this. So thank you. Um, that is actually incredibly humbling because. Um, I write because I like writing. Mm-hmm. I also write because I enjoy having an income. And uh, mostly my goal in writing is to do a good job and to entertain people. So when, when occasionally when people tell me that my books are actually useful in some way, <laughs> besides mere entertainment, I am always floored and I am incredibly humbled and you know, this is not even my 13-year-old going hee-hee-hee-hee inside. This is just my 13-year-old on the floor going, wow, yeah. I can't believe I'm, you know, actually of some use in this world besides to my own children. Oh, no. <laughs> Hello. No, you are you are most most definitely of, of great use. I know that when I read this series, and I'm sure this is true for many of you, um, you, you do that thing where you wake up, you come out of the book, and you're like, oh, it's been four hours. <laughs> I didn't make dinner. At one point, I was waiting to pick up my son in a parking lot, and I was reading um, the third one, and he got in the car. <laughs> and I, I didn't even notice. I was just sitting there on my, you know, reading, and he's like, are, are we going to go home? And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so with this book, do you have, a, like, a favorite scene or moment? I promise no spoilers. I, I promise there's not going to be any spoilers about this book because I presume some of you haven't read it yet. It's awesome if you haven't. But anyway, do you have a favorite scene or moment? Because you incorporated so many wonderful elements. You have a ball. You have a chateau. You have a heist. You have, you know, steamy pining. Really lots and lots Our of... Our specialty. Lots of pining. So much forest of pining. What... What, if you have one, were your favorite scene or scenes from this book? Um, this, I don't think it's a plot spoiler um, uh, in the sense that I don't think anybody will be surprised that um, Charlotte Holmes is still alive at the end of this book, I hope. Um, yeah, I haven't heard that cliffhanger yet. So, right, yeah. right. So, um, so um, at the end of the night, the night of the um, heist, um, when they're ready to make their getaways and there are people coming... Um, to check the carriages to see are these the people we're looking for. And um, and she's in the carriage with um, a, a secondary character who is actually the hero of My Beautiful Enemy. And um, so when they threw open the door, um, Charlotte threw herself on this gentleman and basically, you know, was like, oh, don't, oh, monsieur, you must not uh, let, you know, my husband's men find me and so on and so forth and, and this and that. Um, so the, the people looking for them, like, disperse. And uh, so they separate. And, um, and then, uh, would anybody mind if I actually found the page? Um, no. Yeah. Go for it. The door was again yanked open. So this after the first batch of goons were gone. Her door was again yanked open. Her surprise squeal was genuine this time as she threw herself across the carriage into Lieutenant Atwood's arms. Please, monsieur, you must save me from my husband. He would lock me in the attic and tell the world I've died. And here I thought you didn't even like Jane Eyre, said Lord Ingram, closing the door behind himself and taking a seat. (laughs) Next to Lieutenant Atwood. So that was... Literary flirting. (laughs) Literary flirting is so good. Which and I love that scene. My favorite scene is actually immediately afterward, where where Charlotte declares the evening a success for a very specific reason. I promise, no spoilers. I l- love that part. I actually can't remember what you're talking I'll about. I'll tell you later. That's okay. <laughs> it's the twist. It's the other question from the twist. Okay. Okay. Sarah Drew wanted me to ask you. Obviously, the inspiration for Charlotte Holmes is Sherlock. Now that you're four books into the series. 
How often do you go back to the original Conan Doyle series or has Charlotte grown into her own person and her own life so that the originals are less relevant as you go forward? I have actually never gone a lot into the original canon uh, because although I like the original canon, I have always loved um, the pastiche more. I've always thought the best Sherlock Holmes was in the pastiche, like in the Laurie R. King books or in the BBC Sherlock. Um, the, the adaptations have always been my favorite um, Sherlock Holmes. Um, so I did read a study in Scarlet before I wrote a study in Scarlet Women. And I think after that, whenever it's time to write a new book, I always go and see if there's anything I can steal from the original. Um, but after the first one, actually, no, I haven't stolen wholesale from the original much. I've only like taken like bits and pieces. So even in the very beginning, it wasn't like very strictly um, a very strict um, Sherlock Holmes take. So um, yeah, now yeah, now it's taken on a life of its own, and and I think it's okay. I think the life of its own with a bit of nodding to the original canon here and there is what people like, and it's what I like. So. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Now, one of the themes of the book is the idea of what we will do to help people, whether they're family or friends or someone we feel responsible for, and how f- far we'll go to help people, even to our own detriment. So Charlotte has her sisters. Ingram has Lady Ingram. Um, Mrs. Watson and one of the new characters in this book you revolve around that theme a lot. And at one point, it's made very explicit in the text, which I really, really liked. Was that something you thought about as you wrote the novel? Or is that sort of something like the, the gremlin showed up with later and you were like, oh, hey, that worked? Uh, yeah, are you? Are you? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, the great Kate Redding has arrived. <laughs> And for uh, for your listeners who may not be aware, uh, Kate Redding is the narrator of um, the uh, Lady Sherlock books, and she has done an absolute bang on job. And I couldn't believe that I get to meet her. So, hi, nice to meet you. Um, so, uh, back to your question, which was about um, I. It was it was actually I. If if you know me very well. Um, you would know that my brain is shut off most of the time. Um, this is not something that's very obvious to most people because you don't see me a lot. <laughs> but my husband, I think my mother knows that most of the time I'm just there and I am like your um, computer that's asleep. You have to like press, press me to wake me up. Um, you know, I, I appear, I, I appear um, sentient, but really I'm somewhere else. Um, Yet on this, I actually made a conscious decision because um, I very much enjoy the um, the um, Inspector Armand Gamache um, mysteries uh, oh, set in so set in French Quebec, and um, and it's set in a very small village. Uh, of course, the downside to things like that is you start to think: Have the people in the village gone nuts yet? after 10 murders have happened in, like, a place with maybe 120 people? You know, wouldn't that death toll, like, make the news? Yeah, yeah, you, you, you would think, huh? A new murder every and, year? And, 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 and yet, um, I really love that series, and I think the reason I love that series is because the community she's built, um, and uh, how everybody cares for each other, and even the bitter, the, uh, the cynical ones somehow, you know, stay in the community because... They still want to be loved. They still want to love and be loved. Um, so when I um, started the Lady Sherlock books, it was very much intentionally that I want to build a community. Not necessarily a community of women, but, but that's a huge part of it because, um, because once I made the decision that um, Watson was also going to be a woman, not just Sherlock, but Watson, um, then it instantly became a question of... Um, a topic of women's friendship, women's community, and coming, having coming up, basically having come of age in the romance writers community. Uh, I think I can say this because uh, other than the four months uh, when I have worked um, as an intern at an accounting firm, uh, I have not worked with men in 20-some years in all of my adult life. Nice job. <laughs> 
pretty great, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and, and nowadays it's like the only men I know are I'm either married to them or gave or given birth to them. Um, yeah, yeah. Can so, confirm. so, so I I live like I live surrounded. Uh, my friends are women. My uh, colleagues are women. My uh, uh, my editor, my uh, agent, all of them have been are and have been women, and. I enjoy it very, very much, and I love the community of women. So I wanted that love to come across um, um, this, um, this not necessarily um, unquestioning support, but definitely the support of women, and not not support for support's sake. You know, you. It's just that it's great. It's a great place to be in, in the bosom of all these great women, mm-hmm. um, and so so yes, that's deliberately built in, uh, and of course. If people matter to you, then you go to the mat for them. Mm-hmm. Especially since you could, if you're sh- if you're Sherlock Holmes, and you have a brain like a surgical implement, why not do what you could? Yeah, I love that that's the case because that's my one of my favorite things about the series and the world, especially how Mrs. Watson and Charlotte take care of each other and the sort of hidden code of conduct that surrounds both of them. Like Mrs. Watson will only speak to her neighbor outside on the street and won't put her neighbor in the position of having to speak to her privately because Mrs. Watson is of a different social status. And there's all this hidden code and behavior of conduct. Mrs. Watson is extremely chivalrous. Oh, she really is. That's such a good way to describe her. Yeah, she's absolutely chivalrous. Especially in this book. this This is totally off topic, but, um, don't let that stop you. <laughs> but many years ago, I heard, um, I heard, I didn't hear a speech. I think I read that speech in print. But um, Jodie Foster was being honored for something, um, and uh, when she accepted the award, and she says, um, you know, um, I have always in this business, I've always tried to be a gentleman. And that stuck with me so hard because I was like, I instantly get what she means. Because lady is such a sexualized term. It's bound up in so much sexual mores. Like, I would be looking at myself askance if I were to refer to myself as a lady. And yet, I have no problem at all referring to myself as a gentleman. You would immediately understand. And it's not gender, it's conduct. Yeah, exactly. So, like... I, I would love to, in my lifetime, to have such a term for women, you know. Yes. Uh, but but Mrs. Watson is an absolute gentleman. That's what she is. Oh, it's such a good way to describe her because she really is. You seem to have a lot of affection for her. I do. I do. I mean, I have affection for women in general. Yeah. I like men too. Yeah. But <laughs> I mean, the ones that live in your house are fine. Right. They, they're okay. Yeah, they're, they're okay. <laughs> I mean, you're responsible for them most of the time. Not for my husband, no. No. He's got to take care of himself. (laughs) Especially while you're on book tour. (laughs) So what about uh, Lord Remington? Amanda wanted to know if uh, we would see Lord Remington again. And she also wants me to say specifically thank you for this wonderful series. Oh, thank you, Amanda. Um, I don't see why not. Um, Frankly, I haven't thought of Lord Remington since since book three wrapped. But that's common. Um, Because the other day I suddenly thought, oh, what about Charlotte's brother? You know, and I haven't thought about him also since book three, but I thought of him just then and I was like, hey, yeah. <laughs> so your brain works with you sometimes. After it's being off for a long time, it will yeah. turn on and go ding. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. So we might see we might see more of Remington in the future. Oh, yeah. Why not? Maybe. Sure. I mean, why he's not? a brother. Okay. Yeah. If we're placing orders, I would nominate more Remington. Just, you know, <laughs> if, we're, if we're if we're making suggestions. Sherry says, I just finished The Art of Theft. I have two questions. Do you know how many more Charlotte Holmes books you are planning? And if not many more, do you know what your next project will be? Um, from the very beginning, I have thought that I could write 10 good books in this series. Um, I have one more book under contract. And uh, my agent has just... Um, uh, started the process to get two more books under contract and uh who do we call <laughs> do you have a number because <laughs> call, i'm calling mcmillan already i can just make a list yeah you can you call know? you can call uh, penguin random house i'm with them so um, all right yeah yeah no i i, I don't Mr. think penguin i don't think i don't think uh, it's it's penguin it's penguin <laughs> yeah. yeah um yeah 
uh, I was with the random side earlier, so I've both been penguin and random. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, um, no, I don't. I don't think it will be a huge problem to um, to continue the series at this point. Um, um, <laughs> For the record, Sherry, uh, Sherry's audiobook narrator just went yes, <laughs> and we all agree with and, you uh, on that sentiment. And um, and since since I s- sort of thought it would be ten books, and and now you already know that my brain's off most of the time, so I actually don't know what's going to happen. Um, the reasons these books are so tightly knit together is because whenever a new book comes, I'm always like, don't know what to do. Let's see what happened in the previous book. Previously in Charlotte uh, Yeah, Holmes. yeah, <laughs> e- exactly. So, um, so actually, um, people are like, why do these books have cliffhangers? I was like, cliffhangers actually to point me to the right direction for, for where to go in the next book. Because it has happened. Um, I think in the second book, I threw in a cliffhanger just for the heck of it. And because um, and then in the third book, I went off in a totally different direction and wrote 10,000 words uh, set in Scotland featuring a lot of seances going, no, this is really not where it should go at all. And then so then I have to go back and, and look at and when I saw that um, when I saw that um, cliffhanger so-called cliffhanger and i was like oh yeah i actually should pick up right afterwards why didn't i think of that um so yeah so that's what i did and then and then that kind of got the third book onto the right track after a while so so the cliffhanger that's in this book is actually just tell me don't forget that's what you're supposed to do next time so your writing process is a lot of present sherry going back to past sherry and saying thank you Thank you for that. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, Pal Sherry actually isn't bad when it comes to Pal like... Pal Sherry's uh, getting it done! Uh, it, it's, when it comes to... Pal Sherry uh, has been awful in the past about things like, um, you know, stuff that needs doing around the house. Oh, uh, that's optional. But yeah, in terms of work, she hasn't been too bad. Oh, Pal, yeah. Sherry, <laughs> Pal Sherry is getting it done. Do not worry. Absolutely. <laughs> now, Anonymous also loved the art of theft. Um, please ask if Charlotte will be meeting Catherine Blade from My Beautiful Enemy in a future sequel. Could that happen? Pretty please with sugar on top. I second this motion. All in favor? All right. The motion is carried. Past Sherry, we are waiting. Um, the, the only problem with that is I do not intend to be so. And yet these books have been packed so tightly together time frame wise. Uh, I am I, I, sorry. I've forgotten to put the, the, the time to timestamp these books at the beginning. I will do that with the next book. But it started in the summer of 1886. Mm. And we're just in November, I mean, December of 1886. So it's five books and only six months have passed. Um, and Dude. I know, I know. And Catherine, Catherine Blade does not come to England for another Five or six years. So that's like 42 books from now. (laughs) You are exactly right. So so, so, so I've been been thinking, I have actually, you know, been thinking to myself vaguely as I'm lying on the couch. It's like, oh, I really got to skip like three years in in one of those, uh, you know, in between one of those two books or something, something. Yeah. Now I'm picturing Charlotte with her um, maximum permittable chins. Up in that short of a, free, of, a, of, a, of a time frame, I really want to know her pastry preferences. <laughs> up and down, up and down. Wow. Yeah, it's, 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 she's like us, right? Yeah. So oh, she, yeah. she loves her food, but she also has her vanity. And, she, and they didn't have synthetic materials ba- back then. Nope. So she has to fit back into the same clothes that she probably made to be vain, mm-hmm. um, you know, to be laced tightly and all yes. that. Um, I, think, I think at one point I wrote this in the book, but it may not have made it uh, um, into the final point, which is like things somebody was asking her why she doesn't do rational dressing because rational dressing existed at the time. It's like corsetless and uh, like much more uh, loose uh, flowing. And she said, I will look like a sausage um, in rational dressing, which is not true, but we women always will say things like that. Um, so yeah, so Charlotte, for Charlotte, it's a struggle between her vanity and her appetite. And uh, sometimes her appetite wins, and sometimes her appetite has to be, you know, um, bow to greater forces. <laughs> I also love that, especially in the previous book, there was this was more explicit that she is also balancing a third item, which is that her 
physical body provides insulation to too much stimulation yes. for her. And, yes. that, and in this book, she talks about how her manner of dress is actually soothing. It is a self-soothing mechanism for her. It's a deliberate choice. Um, so she's she's balancing a lot of awareness of herself while just really wanting cake, which I relate to deeply. Yeah, I um, I used to have I used to um, have a whole cake, like and not a piddly cake. I'm talking about a full size like Costco cake. No, no, not Costco cake. I am not the. Um, oh no, uh, sometimes, sometimes I could go swimming in a Costco. Uh, cake. Sometimes, if they're in their a uh, bar size cakes, not oh. their not their full graduation size cakes. Um, yeah. I've had a Costco bar size cake all by myself. I I've had I'm gone so to proud. The, the I've gone to my local bakery and had like you know with all those uh, like plate size, uh, four layer fully frosted cake. Uh, that'll be like you know I'll put it in the back of the fridge and I'll have two slices a day and you'll be gone within the week. So that'll be my deadline week and that'll be my deadline cake. Yeah. Um, did you guys know there was deadline cake? <laughs> you did? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, haven't, I haven't been able to do as much of that uh, in recent years because, because I, seem to have, I seem to have more deadlines. Uh, because I write bad drafts, so I have to keep writing. So every draft has a deadline. And then I cannot, you know, if I have four or five draft deadlines a year, I, can't, I really cannot do four or five whole cakes a year. It, it has to be c- cut back a bit, but I'm sorry. <laughs> it's very sad. I know. I, I was at Costco today, and they're stocking up for Thanksgiving and the holidays, and they have those pumpkin pies that are the size of, like, a truck hubcap. Oh, like, you could take a nap in that pie. So I'm thinking, like, your next deadline, you might just want to... I have I have done that with their apple pies. Oh, oh the the hub size the hub size. They're the, like a yeah. cushion. Yeah, yeah. I have I have I've, I've, I've gone couch. through like most of one myself. Oh yeah. yeah, I yeah I that's not a problem. So Aria wanted to know, and this was very funny because you actually had to ask her, "What are you talking about? How evil was your laugh when you plotted the twist of the Hollow of Fear? Was it more of a cackle? Was it like a low chuckle? Was it a slight grin?" Um, yeah, I actually had to uh, uh, DM uh, Arya and ask which which twist are we talking about. I thought I thought it was one about the relationship, uh, the romantic relationship, and it, it did turn out to be that she confirmed that. And I have to say, there are multiple twists in the book. Some of them, when I thought of them, I went like, "Oh my god, yes!" And some of them, when I thought, I'm going like, "Holy smoke, that's cliched." Um, I hope <laughs> I hope I can get away with it. And um, and uh, and this one, I actually did not even think of as a twist. No kidding. No kidding. I, I always assumed that, you know, that to, that to be the case. Um, and uh, and my um, my actually I wrote it out more um, more explicitly that that what you thought of as a romantic progression was actually not quite that. Uh, because my critique partner was like, "Well, now you don't have any, uh, y- now you don't have any uh, romantic obstacles." I was like, "What do you mean?" And then I realized, "Oh, it was so implicit I shouldn't see it." So then I made it explicit, um, in in the sense that. Uh, but I, I I faced this question actually yesterday at uh, um, at Love's Sweet Arrow in Chicago um, about the the romantic progression about the slow burn and mm-hmm. and whatnot, and my answer is actually this. When I originally um, imagined how this book would be set up, uh, what happened in book two wasn't supposed to happen till book five. Not that I knew what was going to happen between book one and book five, but I thought that was going to happen in book five. And then because I didn't know what to do, I took the plot from book five and, <laughs> and, and did book two with it. And then again, I thought something else was going to happen. So, so what happened in book three was what I was going to replace book five with. So again, I had to... So in the what happened is that the, the romantic progression actually happened much faster than I thought it would. So, so, so if you call if you call now. this a slow burn, <laughs> yeah. what I had originally envisioned would be like you know a, a, a bare spark of an ember, you know, buried <laughs> deep in coal dust. Uh, yeah. So, so we're coming up on book five now. I know, I know, and, and I actually know what to do. I was shocked. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, because when I did that for book two and three, I go, oh my God, when I come to book five, book five is going to like kick me so hard. Yeah, but, but my critique partner gave me an idea. And uh, so, so I had a heist idea and I had her idea of doing something with um, 
with Inspector Chuddles. Uh, I presented them both to my editor, and uh, she said, we'll do the heist first, and the other one later. I was like, cool. We are all sorted until book five. <laughs> nice. Past Sherry is getting it done. That is nice. Now, I like to ask... What do you do to care for your creative self? Because writing, kind of hard, when you're not swimming in a pie. <laughs> it is hard even when you are swimming in a pie. Yes. Yeah. That's why the pie is necessary in the first place. Yeah. Uh, uh, easy jobs do not call for cake. No. Um, and though I actually haven't... Um, uh, this will be the fourth time I'm mentioning this, that my brain is shut off most of the time. That's how I later realized it's like my body's nat natural mechanism against burnout, I guess, because, um, because it's actually not being used. It's, I am just there, um, kind of like vegetable sherry. Um, I can cook and then clean and, and all that, uh, but, uh, but I really don't do a whole lot. The thing is, writing, the hard part of writing is it requires so many, you to make so many decisions. Mm -hmm. And especially at the beginning of a book, every decision you make have repercussion, repercussions throughout the rest of the book. Yeah. So it's really, so it's like very, it's sort of like um, at a certain stress level, making those decisions, knowing that you're going to have to live with them. And, and so in the rest of my life, I have kind of simplified my life as much as I could of all decisions. I mean, good thing is like, I don't, I work at home, so I don't have to wake up and wonder what to wear. I don't have to, you know, um, wonder when I should go to work. And now that I'm empty nesting, I don't even have to wonder about, you know, uh, what am I going to do with my kid? Um, so it's, it's kind of like, so I am very minimalist in the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And also, I was uh, I was recently introduced uh, into another writers group, not my local romance writer, but another um, writers group in Austin, and they introduced me as a prolific author. And I look at that word, and I blinked a few times, <laughs> and uh, and I was like, prolific by whose standard? And then I realized, I think um, in this day and age uh, of um, of independent publishing, with the market being what it is, and with a lot of uh, authors uh, forced to come out with four or six books a year, um, my, my concept of prolific probably got skewed. Uh, that I, I think if you're not writing 10 books a year, cannot be called prolific. But I guess compared to people in the rest of the genres, if you consistently release one, one half books a year for like, you know, 12, 13 years and have say 19, 20 books under your belt, yeah, I guess that could be called <laughs> prolific. Because it is a constant output. Um, but really, by romance standard, I am not doing that much. I am doing one book a year plus an occasional another book a year. And, and I, think, I think I am built temperamentally and constitutionally to withstand that much work, even though, um, even though cake is necessary to get me through it. <laughs> well, I mean, when is cake not necessary? Now, I always ask... Do you have books that you want to tell people about? Yeah, yeah, I always do because I, I do read a lot. Um, let's see. Um, I recently, uh, if you like historical mysteries, uh, recently I have loved uh, Bella Ellis's um, The Vanished Bride, which is the first book in her um, Bronte sisters um, mysteries. We recently interviewed each other because we both work with literary icons, mine's fictional and hers were real life. She um, And uh, the thing was, I mean, you heard me making fun of Jane Eyre, uh, just in this book. Um, and that's probably not the first time I've made fun of Mr. Rochester. I feel like I did it in um, The Hollow of Fear, too. So I approach her book with a certain trepidation. <laughs> <laughs> Given that I have not been like a huge fan of the Brontes' work, and she just won me over. Um, I love the Bronte sisters as she portrayed them. And I think as probably how they, very close to how they were in real life, they were just such fierce women and such iconoclasts that I was like completely won over. And, uh, and I, I actually don't like Gothic, but her Gothic was so well done. I was like, ooh, sucked in. Um, when so, someone told me about that book and said, well, the Bronte sisters solve crime, I was like, I didn't know I needed those words in that order. <laughs> 
but I do. Yeah. I did not know that that was what I needed. Yeah. But it was so, exactly what I so wanted. So it was uh, very well done. And I think uh, uh, right now I'm also listening. I just got into um, uh, the Vorkosigan uh, saga by... I always mix Lois up her McMaster name. Louis Master yeah. Bujo. I never know which one's her middle name, which one's her last. Um, and also, um, if we go a little wider, I I read science fiction, and um, and I actually really love science fiction by women. So uh, the um, the fifth season by N. K. Jemison is. Is like yeah, it was mind blowingly good. I mean, she's been mind blowing good since she first debuted uh, mm-hmm. with what is it called? A hundred thousand kings. Hundred thousand kings. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, uh, Cameron Hurley, uh, another um, woman science fiction writer, wrote uh, "The Stars Are Legion," and I kid you not, um, it's the most hardcore b- book I've ever listened to. At one point, at one point, I was cooking and had to stop cooking because it was so stomach turning and and I usually eat when I read so I was like I don't know what I can carry on but the whole narrative was just like there's such a driving force to the narrative that I, I did carry on and I was very glad that I did and uh, and it's it's yeah it's another mind-blowing book women are doing terrific work these days isn't it the truth yes now I am really excited that Kate Redding is sitting to my left and I wanted to ask you a question. You seem to have really enjoyed these series and, and narrating them. And your narration is exquisite. Like before you got here, we were all like, is she here? Is she here? <laughs> is she come yet? We want to meet her. So can I ask you how much you've enjoyed narrating these books? Oh, my God. <laughs> the first book that I got, when I started reading it, I was like, who is this writer? How does she know this world? I grew up in that world. I grew up in England without a television. So I was desperate and all I did was read. And I grew up among these eccentric, rural English people. And I'm looking at the characters in this book and I'm going, I know all of these people. I grew up with them. They all behaved like Victorians. (laughs) It was, you know, it was the 1960s, but it might as well have been 1860. What's a hundred years? <laughs> so I just fell in love and I loved Charlotte. I loved her kind of radical, liberated mindset. You know, she was so free to do these things that she needed to do. And she was so canny about how she would overcome the obstacles that society placed in front of her that I thought, well, this is... This is inspiring for anyone who feels locked in place, anyone who feels stuck. You know, just like, what would Charlotte do? Like, that should be your mantra. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I have. And then I found Sherry on Twitter and I send her messages. (laughs) Very exciting. Um, And I'm so thrilled to hear how many more books you have. (laughs) She's going to, you're going to be in your booth like, come on, let's go. All right, who has questions for Sherry? I open it to the floor. I've got more, but I like to yield to the floor and uh, and invite people to ask questions. Yes, sir. Oh. From this point forward, how do we teach our children the behavior, the gentleman versus the lady, beforehand? Gender aside. Um, I've always felt like a virtue is a virtue. I don't think virtues are gendered. And I've, I've felt that, um, there are a lot of, um, traditionally virtues traditionally considered feminine, that it would be great if more men would choose to see them as universal virtues, Mm -hmm. such as, you know, compassion, understanding, um, uh, the 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 love of community, uh, and I have also felt that um, there's a lot of virtues uh, traditionally considered masculine that we should not keep women away from, such as independence, audacity, and uh, ambition. Exactly, yeah. um, and I feel that you know if we are to praise men for something. 
let's also praise women for the same. And if we're going to denigrate, if we're going to scorn women for something, let's scorn the same in men. Basically, we are not asking for special anything. All we ask is equality, is, is, is fairness across the board. So that's, uh, and fairness. Fairness is a great virtue to teach everybody. I like you. <laughs> <laughs> Who has questions? Hi. Hi. What's your question? Um, so there's been like a little bit of a, a tsunami about historical accuracy in books recently <laughs> on the internet. I was wondering, what's your research process like? How do you study? How do you make sure things are buttoned up? What is it like for you? When you speak of historical accuracy, currently you are speaking of um, representational accuracy, correct? And not just like say what they wore and what they ate and that sort of accuracy. So if, yeah. if you're talking about general um, historical accuracy, I work in a very fortunate era um, in the sense that um, that it is just outside of um, um, what you call it uh, uh, copyright laws. So, <laughs> so on Google Books, there's an unbelievable number of primary sources. You can actually find out exactly how much how much a passage from like. Liverpool to Bombay would cost back in the day and how long the passage would take and how many ships would go there, you know, in terms of like, oh, a mail ship might go the other direction from America and take 50 days to get to Australia versus you going the other direction. And so all that for me has been like, um, ever since Google Books came along, it's changed my life. Before that, I had to drag a suitcase. I had to get a general public membership at um, the library at University of Austin um, so I could drag a suitcase to it and take a suitcase full of books back home to like sift through it. But now I can basically get on Google Books and like find really granular details as to exactly what people were eating and what they were wearing and uh, and how long it takes to get to place to place. Um, like, like there were... Um, there were instances when in my historical romance, I needed a, a train journey and I could find, oh, this, this tunnel in Italy was built right before this time so that they could make from this place to that place in 20 hours. Phew, you know, like I love writing in that era, <laughs> not, not only because I could find out things, but because, um, but because uh, it, was, it was like things were fast. You didn't have to like, you know, like 80 days, Around the world in 80 days was done in that in that era, and it was they had the Victorian internet, which was the tele, uh, telegraph, um, and so um, so things were happening fast. Um, and as for um, you didn't specifically ask about it, but I have actually thought about this a lot um, in the sense of the um, representational accuracy, and I can I I was probably one of the least woke individual you could meet. Uh, like, you know, the brain thing that's shut off. Mm -hmm. And also because uh, from a personal background, um, I was not born and brought up here, um, but in China, which is a lot more monoculture than the U.S. is. So there's not even that awareness of uh, the majorities and the minorities and you need representation. Everybody was... Well, it, there are minorities in China, but not in my part of China. Like occasionally you hear, oh, someone maybe of the Korean nationality. Like, like, wow, you know, and that would be like one person in the whole city or something. Um, so even after I came here, I continue to be pretty blithe about it. Like I did not need to see myself represented in books because heck, my whole life, Every book I'd read up until that point, they were all Chinese, all Chinese. So I was like, I didn't have that personal need. And so I, when I was reading historical romance, and it was like, all white people, I was just like, sure. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure that must have been the case, all white people. Um, <laughs> like, I did not ask questions. I didn't know any better, and I did not ask questions. So it was, um, what had happened in the past few years was that like, uh, like I became somewhat less ignorant. And then I was also going, oh, oh, I, I did not know that. 
So now I am also making sure that my books are slightly more representational. I think uh, um, in in the um, in the um, art of theft, uh, we had a Indian woman, uh, and uh, in the art of theft, you found out that I don't think this is a huge uh, huge uh, um, uh, spoiler that uh, Mrs. Watson is queer. Uh, I mean, Mrs. Watson loves people. <laughs> I think today she'll probably be called pansexual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also awesome. I would just call her awesome. Yes, yes, exactly. Like yeah. Unquestionably exquisite. Life goals. <laughs> you know. and, uh, and I think uh, in my next book, I plan to introduce a character who is biracial. Uh, and uh, so, you know, because they also existed. And questions of identity and awareness show up in this book as well, because Mrs. Watson has to confront her past self and the ignorance of her past self as part of the development of the story. Yeah, exactly. And her 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 ignorance was not so much about her own sexuality. I think that she always knew pretty well, but it was about what kind of constraints there were on her. Uh, on her Indian Indian friend being uh, a, a colonial, like a, a colonial, you know, spending time in the heart of the empire, how she has to conduct herself, what she can and could not say, especially given they had met not too long after the great Indian mutiny. Yeah. Their conversations are some of my favorite in this book. They have such a lovely friendship with a really nice undercurrent of extra. <laughs> I love that. I mean, it's your good access. Yeah. yeah. Who has questions? Ma'am. This is more of a compliment than a question. I was really struck in the first book uh, how much time and trouble you took to describe Charlotte's family and her childhood. But I'm curious about her, her family, besides the mystery brother, uh, if they're going to play any role, or you probably don't know yet. You're exactly right. I have no idea until something when something would suddenly drop into my head, such as, hey, what about so-and-so? Yeah, um, but um, thank you for that, because sometimes people have said, well, the book one is read slightly slower, and I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry, because book one is an origin story in addition to a mystery. So origin stories suck for that reason, because you have to shove in, you have to shove in an origin in addition to trying to do everything else uh, that so that particular right. genre demanded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a huge Sherlock Holmes fan for my whole life, and I've read all of them many times. And I was really impressed by some of the traits that you kind of sneaked in that really relate to the real Sherlock, which I guess you've picked up in the pastiches rather than the original. Oh, no, no, I, I, I read the original too, but, yeah. Um, she had all these traits even as a child, and now she's grown up and figured out a way to put them to good use. It's perfect. Thank you. Thank you very much. I also love that in this book, we see more of Livia, that Livia gets her voice, like in multiple ways, she gets her voice and she's learning agency. And it's, it's not as if it's Bernadette, right? Bernadette? Bernadette is Bernadette. the sister with severe autism. Right. She's not going to have agency, but she is going to have safety. And Livia is going to have safety and agency because Charlotte is determined to have agency and safety and give that to other people. That is such an incredible relationship. Oh, thank it's you. such a gift. Thank you. I, I always get really happy when people say they like the relationship between the sisters because I am an only child. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I have, like I said, I've been in the community of women for so long and yeah. I feel like I could realistically portray, yeah. you know, love between women. Yep. Yeah. Ma'am. I have a comment. I, I follow you on Twitter, but my son and I, we've read the uh, Elemental Trilogy. And so I told him I was coming to see you tonight. And I said, do you have anything you want to say to her? And he said, just tell her that they're the best, best, best books ever. Oh, my God. Oh, I love them so much. He does. He thinks they're better than Harry Potter. Oh, thank you so much. Elemental Trilogy, I strongly urge you to do so. It's amazing. Um, it also has a lot of gender-bending stuff. So, But um, the comment that I wanted to make also is that in the first book, the thing that struck me so much is Charlotte is so, she's so smart, she's so possessed, and 
the first thing we see her do is such a spectacular miscalculation. I really thought that that was such a nice way to set up because she is so smart, she is so controlled, but there was this, for a long period of time, I was reading like, oh my God, you know, what's going to happen next? Is she going to survive? And so I really enjoyed that. Thank you very much. I It's always been my mantra that um, the smarter people are, the bigger the mistakes they make because they think they are smart and uh and so if you if you like require a colossal mistake you go to a genius yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, and because and, and because you know they 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 would tend to go for the big schemes and when they fail they will fail spectacularly and also because charlotte in her way she was not worldly Right, because she has also been lived in a very constricted life. So there's no way that she can succeed at everything she says how to do. And this is also one of the reasons why I made Mrs. Watson a woman who has lived and who has had experience. So she is, in a way, um, Charlotte's mentor in life. Like Charlotte can de- deduce like nobody's business, but in a lot of things, like it's Mrs. Watson who shepherded her along. Mm-hmm. Especially in the in the social stratus that she's in now, she has to have Mr. Mrs. Watson to to help right. her set up. Right, exactly. And that that's also made explicit in this book that that Charlotte says, "I can never repay the debt that I have to you. I can never do enough to help you." Right, yeah. right. I mean, I don't think that's necessarily true. I think no. that can be repaid, but you know, she feels that way, and she should feel that way. Yeah, she's yeah. aware. Mm-hmm. She's aware of that. Yeah. All right, Margaret. Yeah, I just wanted to ask. Well. You talked about having 10 books for the Charlotte series. But to follow up on, on what she just said, like your elemental trilogy is, is so fantastic. Mulan was so fantastic. Like if you get an idea for another YA book, do you like try to cram it in? Or how do you decide what you're going to write? And um, Well, um, the thing is, I, um, I am an idea poor writer. Um, and that's been the case since the very beginning. I don't have... A, a dozen ideas running around. I barely have one or two, and sometimes I have none, and have to like really like as I look at previous books to see what I can do in the next one. Um, uh, so, so it's not as if I'm like being hounded uh, by ideas. And there have been very few books that I've since since I sold my first book. I think there have been only like two books. I wrote voluntarily uh, when not under contract. Uh, because I, you know, because most of the time you do have an idea, but then you need to put time into the idea. You need to put effort, and books are hard to write, and you can only eat this much cake. And, <laughs> and um, so um, The Burning Sky was one. I, I, just, I just wanted to write that book. My, uh, it's my young adult uh, um, gender-bending um, like take on uh, Harry Potter, which is um, uh, young mages living in a muggle school trying to take down the Dark Lord. And uh, so that book requires six drafts before my editor, my, uh, my agent would take it out to shop. So it was, um, and the other one was, um, was, uh, was actually my contemporary which like gestated for eight years, and finally I just wanted to uh, write it. Um, Mulan was something else altogether. Mulan, they came to me and asked, hey, are you interested in writing an adaptation of Mulan? And I foolishly said, why not? And six drafts later. <laughs> um, so, I, so I actually don't have that many pressing things. Uh, so it's always been honor the contract first. And if you still have brain space left and the idea, uh, and you know, then you write something else. I I am sort of working on a young adult, like maybe Chinese influenced uh, fantasy, but I am not sure because the the weakness to my writing or to me as a um, commercial writer is that I suck really hard at writing proposals. And if you know what a proposal is, is um, is that uh, first three chapters uh, plus a, a synopsis that you send to publishing houses, especially to YA houses, to say, hey, would you like to buy this? I have never sold a book on a proposal because I write terrible beginnings um, and I write terrible first drafts and they require me to like basically 
sometimes right all the way to the end before I can go back and fix. So, so you know, you you're going back out not with your best work. Yeah. You don't get picked up. Uh, um, it, it happened in the Magnolia Sword. So when we finally managed a full draft for the Magnolia Sword, my uh, editor um, said to me, "I love the back half." <laughs> what the heck does that mean? So I asked her, "All right." So the first half, where do you put it as? You know, on a scale of one to ten, she's like, "It's at a four. <laughs> and I was like, "Bleep!" Um, because if it's at a seven, you can massage a seven into an eight, maybe even eight and a half. A four, <laughs> there's nothing you can do with a four. You chuck, you chuck the front half of your book, and you restart, and you see how you can get it to match the back half. Yeah. So, which was like. Yeah.、Um, so, what was your question? <laughs> like, how, how do I? How would I choose to go do other projects?、Uh, yeah, no, I won't be doing too many projects. Okay. <laughs> Diana, are we gonna sign and then drink? Are we gonna we drink? To drink and sign. I、yeah. love it. This、yes. is a great plan. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. They, they actually asked me, and I was like, "Let's not impede people from their cocktails." <laughs> yes, you make good choices. Thank you guys so much.、Uh, thank you、out. so much for coming. Thank you all. All right. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. I will have links in the show notes about where you can find loyalty books because it's important to support your romance-friendly indies, and they are definitely one. And I will have links to where you can find Sherry Thomas and Kate Redding as well. This podcast was brought to you by Seduction on a Snowy Night by Madeline Hunter, Sabrina Jeffries, and Mary Jo Putney. This holiday season, steal away with the reigning queens of Regency romance, plus one or two dukes and heiress and a headstrong beauty, to a surprise snowstorm, the comfort of a blazing fire, and the heat of a lover's kiss. Madeline Hunter, Sabrina Jeffries, and Mary Jo Putney combined their awesome talents into this not-to-miss collection filled with their signature wit. Dynamic heroines and swoon-worthy heroes. Seduction on a Snowy Night by Madeline Hunter, Sabrina Jeffries, and Mary Jo Putney is on sale wherever books are sold. For more information, visit kensingtonbooks.com. This week's podcast and the transcript is being brought to you by Tell Me Everything by Amy Hotfany. If you like Megan Hart and Leanne Moriarty, you will love this seductive, nuanced novel with a strong, sex-positive female protagonist. You think you know your neighbors, but when it comes to Jake and Jessica Snyder, you have no idea what goes on behind closed doors. When they first discover an exciting but taboo sexual behavior, it reignites the spark in their marriage and deepens feelings of connection and trust. That is until Jessica keeps a secret from Jake involving an intriguing man from her past. What happens after that will just threaten to destroy their world and them. Carolyn Kepnes says this book is a sizzling, squirming, thought-provoking story of female growth, and Jen Lancaster recommended it to her online book club. Tell Me Everything by Amy Hotfany is on sale now wherever books are sold, and you can find out more at amyhotfany.com. Thank you to our Patreon audience and community who support the show each week. If you would like to join the Patreon community, have a look at patreon.com/smartbitches. Every pledge is deeply appreciated, and pledges start at one dollar a month. There are different pledge levels. Some of them include compliments, which are really fun. So I invite you to have a look. Thank you again to our Patreon community for keeping the show going. You are all marvelous. Coming up on Smart Bitches this week. Oh, hot diggity! We have a kick-ass women in history and the first of our two threads each month about what are you reading? Well, technically, what you're reading. I'm having trouble finding a book to read at the moment, so I am really curious to hear what books are rocking your world. I hope you can give me some recommendations. We also have a new knitting column from Elise about knitting advent calendars. Plus, we have new reviews, cover snark, another holiday gift guide, help a bitch out, and books on sale. I hope you will come and hang out with us at smartpitchestreasurybooks.com. I will have links in the show notes. 
at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast to all of the books we talked about and links to where you can find Sherry in the bookstore if you want to go shopping. But as always, I will end with a terrible joke because it's delightful and I love how many of you listen to the very end. This was emailed to me by Evo. You can email me your very worst jokes at Sarah with an H, S-A-R-A-H, at smartbitchestrushybooks.com. I absolutely delight in the terrible jokes that you send me. And this one is amazing. I'm so excited. <clears throat> okay. Serious podcaster voice. What do you call a 200-year-old buffalo? What do you call a 200-year-old buffalo? A bicentennial. It's so dumb. <laughs> I love it so much. Thank you, Evo. Please send me your bad jokes. It is my most favorite thing. I will be back next week with another episode. And on behalf of everyone here, including my dog, who really would like to leave my office and I shut the door so he cannot, and Wilbur, who doesn't care, and myself, and everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you here next week. 